Students across the world are headed back to school. And along with this return comes some of the stress that we've known from years past. Getting to know your classes, getting to know your teachers, learning about our classmates and reuniting with our friends. And as parents, we're struggling with the content, trying to help our students through their homework, their projects, and their midterm assignments. However, 2020 is a little bit different because we have virtual learning. We have a hybrid of in-person and distant learning. Due to COVID-19, we're all trying to adjust to the circumstances, to having our world turned upside down in the education realm. So what are some of the solutions? What are some of the things that we can do to be successful for our students and for our sanity this fall? Dr. Camille Dempsey from Edinburgh University School of Education joins us today as our digital technology and digital learning expert. She talks about some of the stress that students are going to go through, some of the things that parents can anticipate, and how we can make the most of this semester. She talks about things like techno stress. She talks about Instagram and social media and how we can all adjust and adapt so we can all be successful. Thank you for joining us here today on Tartan Talks. We have Dr. Camille Dempsey, and we're going to talk about how to be successful during the pandemic. This is Tartan Talks, a podcast from Edinburgh University. I'm your host, Christopher LaFuria. Each month, we'll take a look at individuals who make Edinburgh an exciting, diverse, and profound place to discover your passions. All right. Thank you once again, Tartan Talks listeners, for joining us today. It's going to be somewhat of a bizarre school year for students in K-12, through but also in higher education, with a lot of virtual learning opportunities occurring in public and private schools across the country. It's going to be interesting to see how teachers, parents, and pre-service teachers, like our student teachers at Edinburgh University, handle these changes. So we brought in Dr. Camille Dempsey from Edinburgh University's Middle and Secondary Program, who also teaches in educational leadership. And what's unique about her experience is that she earned her doctorate in educational technology with a focus in education leadership. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Dempsey here to Tartan Talks today. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure, Chris, it's really nice to be here. All right, one of the things we wanted to talk about is one of the number one stressors that's on everybody's mind. How are we going to do this this fall? What are some opportunities and what are some frustrations you think that parents and teachers alike are going to encounter as we start a school year, either virtually or in person in a virtual hybrid? Well, we know that this is a whole new ball game and that there's really been this shift um, in all things, I mean, everything, but in education particularly I'm speaking to. So with the pandemic, I don't think anybody was prepared for how fast the shift was happening. Um, I've actually been studying the focus of my research is in virtuality culture and how our greater culture is beginning this shift. And when the pandemic hit, it was like, wow, this, <laughs> like 10 years of my work just moved forward. About, it accelerated, you know, yeah. Oh, it accelerated. And so, yeah, in um, 2014, I created a theory of virtuality culture. And what that says is, or basically what the gist of that is, is that 
our culture is shifting, um, shifting away from um, vir um, more literacy modes, I should say, to more virtual modes. And so it doesn't mean necessarily that it's replacing our traditional literacies, but that these new dynamics are happening with technologies that we can't explain with any other period in history. And so one of the challenges has been, I think for teachers and students, um, adjusting to the idea of the screen and you know, the nature of how, they're, how we're learning and teaching, not being in the traditional mode and being resilient and quickly shifting our, our focus into how do we quickly you know, get back on our feet. Almost like you know, when we throw the cat in the air, how do we land on our feet and, and be resilient enough to move forward? And, and like you said, look at the opportunities and, and the challenges. So one of the things that I think is a challenge um, and I think this is true of all of us in education, um, is sort of our social and emotional well-being and this concern that, you know, with being online, how do we, how do we stay connected? How do we, you know, those day-to-day -day things that we're used to, you know, just stopping into one another's office um, or having a student come in, you know, that, that physical face-to-face -face engagement. And so I think one of the things that's important to point out is that in effective online teaching, we're very much focused on that, that the social emotional well-being isn't something that, you know, we're going to put on the side that we really want to focus on that. And we have technologies that help us to connect. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, everyone flocked to Zoom and, and <laughs> we all, we're all on our smartphone, smartphones 24-7 because of all the ways that we can connect and all the, all the, the variety in which we can do that. But with that comes other um, challenges and things that we have to be mindful of. And so this, with the pandemic, this, this loss of being able to make friends in the traditional sense um, has been a real struggle for students, especially um, young children. And I know I have a teenager myself, so it's been a real challenge for them. Um, and so some of the possibilities, I think, you know, this using web conferencing, um, being able to see one another, that physical, you know, sense of that person being there, um, having discussion, um, creating collaborative learning experiences that online that we might not be able to do face to face, you know, that we can do in different ways. Um, it allows you know, sort of for that flexibility and, and working together and, and also helping the students to be connected. And so the other thing I would say, I think one of the things that's happening, and I know I'm, I've been checking in with a lot of my students um, because I teach a lot of the, you know, the technology communication kinds of classes at Edinburgh, is that um, I've been asking for feedback on how is their online experience going? And I think the instructors who are using multimodal approaches to engage them and teach them through all of their senses, um, those students are reporting a better experience. And so, for example, um, using a variety of educational technologies can help reduce what um, we call transactional distance. And that is that distance that students feel um, between themselves and that professor or that teacher if we're talking about the community. And so it helps to break up when we, when we have these different ways that we engage students within a time frame. it breaks up those large blocks of time that can be very lonely and challenging, especially for our special needs students. And so when we look at Moore's theory of transactional distance, 
this idea of distinguishing between a physical distance being face to face you know this involves that psychological that communicative space that separates the instructor and the learner and that transaction or the ways that we communicate together so that we have to create strategies not just using the tools but use strategies that help to increase the quality of that relationship and one of the ways i know is through the use of appropriate tools and the strategies with those and the frequency that we're using this and i think there's a reason we're all exhausted <laughs> because yeah. that, in that intensity in making sure we're not losing students uh, making sure they're engaged through let's say a zoom video and that we didn't you know lose them somewhere 20 minutes ago you know um, and I'm, i'd be happy to talk about tools and ways to do that yeah. but those are some of the things i see Definitely. And, and I do, as a, as a self-proclaimed tech nerd, I do want to get into a lot of the, the tools later on because there's a there's countless amount of tools. And I think we do rely heavily on platforms like Zoom and FaceTime and Skype. But I think a lot has to do with the experience of the educators themselves. So I remember when I was studying my graduate degree in education, we were told to incorporate educational technology into your lesson plan as a way to make the curriculum stand out, or as a way to present an idea using technology, not just using it kind of like, hey, we're gonna use computers today, or oh, we're gonna use tablets. But with that sort of opportunity to kind of connect people through virtual tools, what are some roadblocks that people are going to encounter, whether it's you know access to high-speed internet, or having the right sort of technology, or the educators having the experience to know how to provide a multimodal approach to education. What are some major roadblocks that you see and that you talk about with your pre-service teachers? Yeah, so on the, the student and teacher side, I think access is definitely up on the top five um, challenges. Um, you know, there are universities like our own that have students in very rural areas. And so, you know, we think about the digital divide used to be who had the connection and who didn't. Now the conversation is who has the high speed connection and who has the lower speed. And so in order for tools like Zoom and other things to be you know, effective, students and instructors need to have you know, the, like, the right speed. And that may or may not be possible where they are. And then for some, if, they, if it's not possible and they have, you know, they have to pay for hotspots, obviously that can be very expensive. And so, you know we don't sometimes we think when we move to online that it's it's not more expensive but in a lot of cases i mean faculty you know the tools that we need to you know download and use students the things we ask them to do just having a device an appropriate device that can manage the the workload um so the additional costs the access um, one of the other challenges i think is the philosophy that a teacher or a professor has about the way that instruction should be delivered. And one of the conversations that I've been having with our education majors and the uh, educational technology classes is, you know, knowing that you don't necessarily know if you'll be teaching online or face-to-face. -face. Right. So we have to develop very quickly sort of a philosophy about what we believe about learners. And so what we do know about, uh, especially young learners, is that they're very resilient. 
And with um, professors and teachers, we have to look at, you know, what is their philosophy of teaching? It's not easy for many people to make this shift. They may or may not have the knowledge base to know how to use the tools, let alone just even beyond the tools, how to um, create certain dynamics in those learning spaces because instructional design is not just about the tools it's what we're doing with them right. um, for example to match up that end goal trying to find yeah. out the goal and monitor growth and trying to incorporate the virtual element without it being too much of a distraction or without it being just kind of like a like a shimmery perk that you have here something that's actually that's a new right. component. that aligns with our outcomes and so um, I think for a lot of people, you know, this forced a lot of change in the ways that we look at learning because we, ha we, we had to shift some of our thinking to be able to, you know, be successful. And so, you know, just loading a PowerPoint and having students read from a PowerPoint isn't going to be effective when we think about those relationships. And, you know, it's also about student retention. It's about um, keeping the students not only engaged, but also it impacts the quality of their learning. True. And so I think when we really look at those issues and we have these conversations in, in my classes, we have to think about not just the tool, but how do we need to change? How does our mindset have to change? You know, one of the things I love about the Partnership for 21st Century Skills is they talk about the four C's of education critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity. And that's what many educational technologies are designed to do. But we have to be comfortable enough to sort of put those out there and allow students to collaborate in environments, you know, Teams or, you know, Google, um, Google Apps or, you know, whatever it is, and, and feel comfortable that we're not going to have all the answers. And that's very difficult for a lot of teachers and professors who yeah. feel that they might need to have all the answers. Well, I feel like especially if you're a, a veteran teacher and you've been teaching the, the same content, you, you may be varying things up and adding new technology here and there. But to take something you're an expert on and having to basically renovate the entire curriculum or the entire uh, the lesson plans that you're that you're promoting to take years and years worth of experience and success to kind of like shake it all up and, and create new content and create new tools. That, that's gotta be kind of intimidating and also frustrating to, to veteran teachers and also to pre-service ones. I think when you, you're confronted with the way that you learn something, so anyone that's learned something, you, you, we tend to run back to what we know. Yeah. Unless, unless a tool or an approach, you know, tech, technology is also a pedagogy. It's, a, it's not just a tool, but we tend, unless we see how something's used and how it'll make things better or different or more innovative or more engaging or help our students learn more, we're reticent to take those things on. But I would encourage people rather than we, we just, you know, people shut down on the fear level. And I tell my students all the time, if you always do what you've always done and what you always what you know, then why are we in school? Why why do we do what we do? Yeah. So what what educational technology sometimes does and, and really scares people is it forces us to learn new things. But I find that's exciting. I see intersections that are really exciting when you you see someone that's never used something and then suddenly they're using it and not just using the tool, but have figured out how to connect with their students in a really powerful way. It's it's like magic. And I know? think I think that has a direct impact on 
students that may be lower achieving students, but still possess qualities like leadership. You know, they, they have passion behind, you know, what their interests are. For example, when I was doing field teaching, when I was in inner city Erie, we had a project where we were talking about Martin Luther King Jr. And we were trying to collaborate with students across the classroom, different methods. We had one uh, particular student who, he was a great kid, but he was just, just academically, he was getting there, he was trying hard, but he just, he just needed a little bit more attention. So what happened when we had this, you know, multimodal project where we did everything from using YouTube to find hip hop videos about Dr. Martin Luther King. We had them design their own brochures. We had them do, you know, they worked in Photoshop. And some of the students that were quote unquote lower achieving really took on leadership roles. And you kind of saw a whole new student through that process. It had momentum. It carried them into future lessons because they see that they can accomplish this. And like you said, young kids are resilient. They will find a way to solve a problem when handed it to them. So I think there are a lot of opportunities with these new routes and with these new challenges that you, that you spoke about. With that said, what are some, and we can get into the tools now if you'd like to, but what are some of the biggest opportunities that we have here? Yes, I, I, I did see somebody, I think somebody posted on social media that they don't see schools having snow days anymore because you're not going to be canceling school because you can just jump on Zoom or Google Classrooms. And even though that may be somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but also somewhat realistic, what are some opportunities that you see happening with classrooms and schools and, you know, K through 12 education because of this new shift towards virtual learning? Well, I think you said it with your example. I think this, the, the ability to create um, opportunities with educational technology can be a real equalizer. Um, we talk about the digital divide and we know what some of those you know, things are, and we talked about that with the costs and even support, you know, having enough support and that sort of thing. But, you know, creating human presence um, in an environment, you know, that doesn't just happen face to face. And I think that's something like when I've um, been, as I've been working on my research, um, I've been defining the ways that technology can actually bring, bring us together and connect us. And so when I think about opportunities, when you think about a lot of the, not just the tools, but the approaches, we haven't begun to exhaust all the possibilities for learning that exists when technology mediates these opportunities. And I think it's exciting to me that we don't have all the answers. Yeah. I'll, never, I'll never go to outer space. <laughs> like that's not on my radar. No. And I, and I'm not a and I'm not, not a scientist in the sense that you know I think about things that happen on campus and it excites me to hear about what's happening in outer space, right? Yeah. But for me, educational technology is is kind of like my outer space because there's so much potential coming. And I had another uh, professor colleague say to me, "Well, Camille, like if you looked forward with this whole theory you came up with with virtuality culture, how long do you think it'll take for us to shift?" towards all things, you know, virtuality, to which I said, I have no idea. But what I do know is technology is accelerating that, that process. Yeah. It's the opportunities I see are huge opportunities for collaboration between students, between um, the teacher and the students, between people, the students and people from all over the world, you know, the connections that we're able to make online that we're not able to make in our limited physical spaces, that excites me. 
Well, you kind of made the the analogy of technology being your outer space, but on a literal sense, you can view things from outer space. You can view rocket ships and the International Space Station through technology. So technology- yeah, Google, Google Earth, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's so many ways to do that. Exactly. And, and there's, there's also a way, it's kind of like shrinking the world, but also making it bigger because you learn about all these opportunities, but it's not as far away as you think. Our graduate program in art therapy has held some virtual sessions and they've been able to connect with people from Central America, from Europe, from across the United States, just through one session on Instagram and Zoom. Whereas before, when I was in fourth or fifth grade, we were still writing handwritten letters to a school across the county. So it, it, it's, made, it's made us a lot closer, but I think it's also, since it's giving students a lot of opportunities to lead and share their expertise, it's also helping us share our cultures as well, being able to talk about our own selves and our own lives. So I guess if you could kind of talk about what one of the four C's is that communication, how has it kind of helped our communication and being able to, even though you can't, you know, put your hand on a student's shoulder and say it's going to be okay, how can you, how are we able to enhance this communication through the virtual realm? Right. So I think one of the things that we've been doing, uh, or I've been doing in, um, you know, with my education majors is, like you said, participating in some of those social spheres. And I think when we think about, and I'm going to use the pandemic as an example. So when we were told way back when in March, and we all remember that day, <laughs> um, that we should not go out and just, you know, stay home and do what you're going to do. You know, I don't know about you, Chris, but I immediately thought, what, I, I, I try to imagine what was this like in other time periods when they had pandemics yeah. and they didn't have the tools we had, right? So right. you didn't know, you didn't know across the street, let alone in the next county, how many people were sick, who, who needed what, who needed help. And I saw within a very short period of time, how quickly our culture, how people mobilized through Facebook to try to help one another and, and through Twitter. And that to me, speaks to the power of not just social media, but what technology can do to mediate some of these social needs. And yeah. we forget this with technology because people will, you know, they'll villainize it. Oh, it's so horrible. Yeah, it's so horrible, except that when we need something major to happen, oh, look, now we're all running to it. Exactly. So, and I think that comes from that place of fear, right? When we're afraid of something, we're, it doesn't matter what it is. We're going to say, oh, I don't like it. Oh, it never works. Well, maybe that's not the case. Maybe you haven't finished the process of working through whatever that is. Right. And I think, um, I think the, um, like the Wright brothers, when they were building that first airplane, people were giving them issues because they're like, this is no way to be traveling. It's not safe. It's, and now look at how many people use flights every year. It's, it's, it's interesting because I was watching, I was watching Hamilton a couple weeks ago and they were talking about how um, basically one of Hamilton's colleagues didn't know the war was over. So they technically kept 
having all these little skirmishes and battles because the letter didn't come in saying that the war was over. And now, like you said, I, I know what's happening in South Africa, in, in Belgium, just from looking at my phone and opening up Twitter. So I think that sort of connectedness is, is, is just amazing. And also to kind of transition to talking about tools, as soon as I saw that we were going to virtual learning and we are being had a stay at home order and we were going online, the first thing I thought of was, what faculty member is going to try and use Second Life or one of these online programs to kind of gamify and to kind of technologize their, their education? So with that said, what sort of tools, whether it's, um, you know, tablets and computers or software, what do you see teachers really using and, and making the most of their educational experience? Well, I, a lot of people will ask me or I'll hear conversations where, you know, it's like, what's the best device or program that I should buy for my student? Or what's the, just the best device I should get for teaching? And so I always recommend that no matter what they purchase or what they decide to use, that they find out what's supported at their university or their school district. That makes a lot because of sense. Yeah, because the support is huge. And so if you don't have enough support and you're new to using the tools, you're, you're going to have a lot of frustration working through problem solving. And just like, you know, that example I used about science and how, you know, in, in the sciences, we accept the fact that we have like a hypothesis and that we test things and things aren't always going to work. When it comes to technology, people have less patience. Oh, yeah the same kind of thing like we have to be willing to be flexible about this because we're learning but getting back to the the tools you know there's a lot of great devices I mean Apple computers PCs Chromebooks um, tablets you know you'll hear it all especially locally here in the schools some schools are one-to-one -one iPads some schools have Chromebooks um, some schools are giving Chromebooks out to their students. I mean, there's been a lot of shift that way. Sometimes they, you know, students are using hybrid devices that operate as tablets or computers. But beyond the device, because really most devices will, will do well, it's about, you know, knowing what your programs do, knowing that you have a good internet connection. You can have the best device in the world, and if you don't have a good internet connection, it's going to be frustrating. Right. Students aren't going to learn as much. Um, you're going to be working harder to fill that gap, that transactional distance we talked about. And so that, you know, a lot of people are unprepared, even with knowing what the speed should be for Zoom meetings. And, you know, what should I be using? And so they'll blame, geez, I think it's just the you know random internet universe. Well, no, yeah. I think you might need an upgrade right. or or, or your tools might need upgrades and they may not understand how that works. So getting back to that support, I think having the support to, to walk students through that and most school districts and universities have that. Um, and so the other thing I'd say about that is on the teacher side, the focus should really be less on the devices and more on how they create an environment that help that creates those opportunities for engagement. Well, so what are they doing through those tools? So if, if they're able to, if they're able to stay connected, if everything's on Google classroom and the Google suite, maybe like a Chromebook would work for them or something right. like that. And, and, and if, if they're going to be doing things on, with, with basic software, then you, d you don't need a, you know, a fancy, you know, high tech gadget where, you know, kind of like, 
lay out what you're going to be doing and what supports available and then basically take those specifications and find the right tool for you. Right. That's interesting. So one of the biggest frustrations is that, you know, it's kind of like, like I have a, I have a 13 year old and when we do some of her math homework, I have to think back decades to when did I learn this? You know, what's the best way to teach this? So now not only are parents, the, you know, at home tutors to help with homework, but they're also the, they're also the geek squad. They're also the, the tech support. Yes. What are some, what are some words of advice or what are some messages that you can give to teachers that, or I'm, I'm sorry, to parents that are at home now and having to take on these multiple roles? So most school districts have a learning management system in LMS that they're using. And so once the parent knows what that is, so if it's Schoolology, if it's Microsoft 365, Google Apps for Education, whatever that platform is, what I would recommend is they all, all of those platforms have support, online support. And one of the, the best things, and I think just even learning with your kids, um, going to the support areas, especially with older children, like middle and high school, and walking through the support area with them, you know, it, it's, you'd be amazed at what you can learn together. And sometimes your student will even say, I already know that mom or dad, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I have a doctorate in this and my daughter will say that all the time, mom, don't you know this about Snapchat? And I'll, and I'll say, you know, it, it, no matter what I know about Snapchat, I think as parents, there, there needs to be a shift where we're curious with them. Yeah. You know, I may not have all the answers, honey. Can, can you tell me and will you be patient with me while I learn these things? And so just trying to stay calm and know that there is a, probably a solution to something that's gone wrong. Um, and then even knowing how there are, I think there are benefits in working with children, particularly older children, and learning how to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Learning how to reach out to a teacher and say, and, and this is the hardest thing, right, with teachers and professors. You know, Mr. So-and-so, I need help. The PowerPoints you're asking me to review are a good start. And I've been reading. I mean, what kid's going to go to a teacher and say, could you please do some Zoom calls? <laughs> please work on the engagement aspect of your teaching. Right. So we're not just reading your PowerPoints. But I think a parent could really coach a, a child through that process or even help them, not helicopter necessarily, but just help them with how to navigate that. Yeah. And there's a lot of learning in that because a lot of people say this generation, oh, they avoid conflicts. No, not necessarily. But they may need some coaching just from, you know, sort of that parental area. The other thing I would say for parents, and this is important for parents and kids with devices, that they need to take breaks and encourage their kids to take breaks. So when you see that your child has been sitting at a computer for more than an hour, you know, kids get sucked in the same way we do. And we have to be, whether it's setting an alarm on your phone, whatever it is, particularly with all the balancing we're all doing. I mean, I work from home and I have to set alarms to remind myself to do things. You know, I have to physically get up, and go in, and I want to, you know, go in and see how my daughter's doing at her desk. So you're setting alarms, taking breaks, taking breaks together, knowing when your child needs a break away from you too. Like leave, let them have some unstructured time. Um, going for walks, um, doing things that help you relax. Like for me, it's ping pong. I love <laughs> ping pong. Um, I mean, I can 
set up the one side and play by myself, like, and really get a lot of my angst out. Like Forrest um, Gump was playing against the wall. Yeah, exactly. I love it. <laughs> but everybody has their own way that they relax. And so I think the other tip would be be there for your kids. Ask questions about how they're doing. Don't assume that if they're staring at a screen and they're typing that everything's going well. Yeah. Um, you know, ask them how you can help. They're, right now, even the students that are going back, like in hybrid situations or high flex um, environments, they miss their friends. Oh, yeah. They miss their friends the way it used to be. And so we have to find ways to make our students feel supported. Um, it's a scary time for them. And they're looking for stability. And that stability, if they're home with us, needs to be with us. Um, and an interesting thing, Chris, that I, I've been watching recently, I don't know if you've been following the, the parent pods. Have you seen this during the pandemic? I don't think so. Yeah, so families are, have been banding together. I've been seeing this. Like, I think there's some in Edinburgh. Um, I've been watching it online all over, the, all over the place. But so I guess these parenting pods during the pandemic are where parents create these small groups. It almost sounds like homeschooling, but yeah. not really. But they get their kids together in small groups for social distancing style so that the students have playtime, have social time. So it's a face-to-face -face thing, but they're only doing it in small groups so that, you know, everyone's safe. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Definitely. Uh, because we need, we need the human connection. We need being able yeah. to take a break. Like, like I think tech fatigue is one of my biggest fears because there are so many great opportunities, but just like if you're a, uh, second or third grader and your teacher just does not know how to teach multiplication you might hate it for the rest of your life whereas yeah. if we, we bombard students with technology iphones all these things and they get tech fatigue that's going to ruin their their chances of ever using it as a commonplace tool for the rest of their lives and that's kind of one of the biggest fears that i have and i'm sure you see it teaching pre-service teachers and i was going to say any activity where you're doing that activity for hours and hours just as a <laughs> a mental thing yeah. is, is going to be exhausting. And I think when you think about technology and, and screens and all the, the demands on those screens, um, yes, it's bound to create that, um, you know, that fatigue. And so, yeah, one of the things that I think about is when we go through that, you know, let's say I've been on a device, for, I try not to be on a device for more than an hour. Mm -hmm without getting up, like take at least two minutes, go out, you know, pet the dogs or do something, go step outside for a minute. But I think what starts to happen is, and, and I think this is what we need to watch with our students and our children, is that it affects our memory. Oh yeah. Start to have memory issues and then that decrease in motivation where, you know, when you're tired, you know, think about it, you know, you start to see people call it procrastinating. I don't, I don't agree. I think some things, you're not as motivated when you're tired. Um, you start to get, you know, you start, you start to get stressed. Um, and, and you may or may not realize it's the screen, right? right. Um, and there's actually a condition like they've, they've, um, I don't, I can't think of who the um, scholar is that's labeled it, but the other word for it's techno stress. <laughs> and it has to do with the physical and emotional symptoms that come from the stress. <laughs> So I thought that was kind of interesting. So that sounds like a Daft Punk album, but it also sounds like something that's that can that can be really problematic. Yes. And also, yes. like the, uh, aside from that, also there's the blue light coming off screens too. 
I, I used to get these bad blue light headaches because my eyes were just not used to all the light from it. So I went to my eye doctor and I got 100% blue light blockers and I haven't had one headache since it's, it's, it's incredible. So just little things like that, maintaining yes. emotional yes. and physical health, I think can go a long way. Have you heard about the zoom fatigue syndrome? Uh, I, I, if I haven't heard it, I'm living it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, well, I never really thought as much about this one until I read a little more about it. But, um, this idea that when we're on a Zoom call, that we feel we need to be paying attention 24-7 to the camera. Yeah. And when you think about it in real life, how often do we stand three feet away from a colleague or a student and stare at their face the whole time? Stare at them the whole time, right. Probably, probably never. And so this, the constant, the, the expectation of yourself that you constantly have to be in this gaze makes us uncomfortable and tired. That's, that's really interesting because as you and I are talking right now, I've been looking at my notes, I've been seeing emails come in and I'm like looking at my phone, looking down at the paper and I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is she th gonna think that I'm rude? Like I have Dr. Dempsey here talking about education technology and here I am focusing on things other than that, but that's a great point. We, we never, I, I can never think of an instance where we're 100% staring at a colleague or a teacher for that long of a, of a time. And I can really see that getting problematic. Exactly. Well, think about this. So when we're sitting in a physical space together, how often do we use our peripheral vision to glance out the window or look around the room? Always. Right. <laughs> so what happens on video calls and people don't think about this is we're sitting in different environments. And so what starts to happen is we worry about if we look out the window. Yeah. What might happen and then the other thing that's interesting about the zoom situation like as much as i love backgrounds what some um scholars are saying is that when we're hyper aware of each other's environments we're zooming in on each other's backgrounds to see oh you know what what book does dr dempsey have on the yeah. shelf that i can sort of look at or whatever you know that adds to the fatigue yeah so that visual, the visual um, refocus, we need, we need, our brains need breaks yeah. from that. And so as much as I, like I tell my students, it's helpful to me when I see you, like yeah. I feel your presence, you feel my presence. That's important to me. When you're a black box, I have no idea where you are, how you're connected. But at the same time, I think we have to be mindful that those environments are exhausting to be yeah. looking at, you know, and, and yes, like, we, we have our physical environment we're in and we're going to be looking around. It's just the way we, our eyes operate. <laughs> That's very interesting. So I think the, the final thought that I had before we wrap up the future. So in the not so distant future, just like we found out in March, like the, the future is here and technology is going to keep growing, whether we like it or not. So do you see this virtual realm taking over the five day a week school session? Or do you see a lot of, teachers being able to incorporate this successfully. So talk about five, 10 years from now, where do you see educational technology going? Well, I thought things were moving really fast and then the pandemic hit and then things moved way faster. They, they than I right. And I just think it's ironic with looking at the greater culture and the shift that was already happening. I really thought, you know what, maybe in two, maybe 200 years we'll be in that place where kids will be, you know, all online. Yeah. I think right now we have a lot of philosophical disagreement 
about how learning should happen according to what people's experiences have been. And the tenacity, it, it's really hard to let go of that literacy culture that we've been in, right? Like I'm even, you know, I feel that, you know, like I learned in books and I learned in with writing and I, yeah. you know, my, my generation saw the first PC when I was in middle school, but it was very rudimentary. It wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. And so I don't know that I have all the answers, but I think it, it'll move. It'll continue to move that direction as our tools get more robust. I think one of the things to watch when, when I'm forecasting and, and looking at the future and culture is what's happening with 5G. Oh, yeah. And right now, one of the highest paying jobs, and I think this is insanity, but it, it's just the nature of it. You know that the, the guys and the women that, that climb the um, cell phone towers? Oh, yeah. So the five, so if you want to earn a huge income, and I mean, I don't, I wouldn't ever suggest anybody do this and God knows if they got hurt, I'd feel horrible. <laughs> but yeah, the people that climb those 5G towers to, to set those up, uh, 5G, you know, 4G enabled a lot of things, you know, it enabled a lot of the social medias we have like Instagram and so oh, yeah. forth. But I think what is going to be interesting to watch is artificial intelligence, what 5G is going to make possible. And I think that'll help answer the question to what extent and at what point will learning evolve that way? I really do. And I think, you know, artificial intelligence, I just talked about in one of my classes that will, if it isn't already impacting every job, um, it will. And I think that's something we need to be educating everyone about because it's, it's, it is impacting everyone, whether they realize it or not. Very interesting. I remember when I was in second or third grade, uh, our computer classroom finally got those those iMacs that look like like VW Beetles, and it was the one yes. of the best days of our lives. They were purple and green, and yes. I just thought I just thought we had reached peak technology there. Like we have we have these computers connected to the internet. Oregon Trail is super fast now, so we're all set. But now we have. You know, they're starting to put more fiber optics into Erie County. Yeah. We're getting 5G. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely on the horizon. And now we're, we're being able to communicate with, um, through Zoom. Uh, and I think, I think whether we like it or not, it's coming and it's going to be quick. It's just a matter of whether, you know, we're able to and whether we're willing to take on that challenge. So Dr. Camille Dempsey, Edinburgh University education technology expert here. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Tartan Talks and for sharing your experience. We look forward to all of these new tools and all these exciting uh, changes that happen here with virtual worlds and virtual technology. So thank you so much for joining us here today on Tartan Talks. Thanks for having me, Chris.